Welcome to the Evolution Next Gen UK podcast. We're bringing together the best technical leaders to talk about the industry passions and challenges they are facing. I am Joe Banda from Evolution Recruitment Solutions, and I help businesses connect with top tech talent. And today, I am your host. Thank you very much for, for joining the podcast again. Um, I really appreciate your participation. Obviously, the podcast today is based on tech mentorship talks, empowering IT talent. Um, before, obviously, we joined this podcast, we all had you know individual discussions about perhaps little subtopics or, or questions that we could put to the group. I think it's more important than ever at the moment that you know, with a lot of entry level and, and more junior people coming into the industry, um, it almost has become quite difficult. Um, so the reason, you know, I thought this was a great podcast to do is the fact that you could all provide some insights um, just because, you know, you're in leadership positions at the moment. And I'm sure you have hopefully some word of wisdom, but also just some um, something that might provide some optimism as well. Um, so we start with yourself, Chris. When we first spoke, um, the sub question that you wanted to put forward was about boot camps. So, are they still a good choice or is the market oversaturated with bootcamp grads and not enough entry-level roles? Do you mind just providing a bit of context on that, please? Yeah, I guess um, kind of two-part. One is that there's a lot more bootcamps than there were sort of three, four years ago, maybe even more recent than that. Um, with the apprenticeship levy, there's a lot more people coming through those bootcamps as well. And especially with kind of last year or 18 months with things in, in the industry, there's a lot fewer roles. Can we sustain the amount of people coming through those schemes? Into an, in, entry level roles in the industry anymore. Um, there's a lot of people looking for work, a lot of people career switching, but there seems to be a massive gap in terms of those those roles that are existing. So yeah, I don't have <laughs> a huge amount of optimism to give it the start of it, but I'm curious what people think of it. Now, so can we start with yourself, Jeb? What what are your thoughts on on you know entry level roles and boot camps? Now, obviously, the well, there's there's a point where that has to slow down before there'll be everybody in the planet, you know, second half of the chessboard kind of thing where there's 50 quadrillion developers. But it has been increasing um, roughly in line with that for the last, um, since, the, since the 50s, give or take. Um, and the other, I guess the other confounding factor in that is um, this last year has been pretty bad i mean in con- the consultancy world most consultancies have actually been laying people off it at all levels as well so how much of this is a blip and how much of this is genuinely we've actually got a little bit too big for our boots and how much how much can the industry sustain that especially with a lot of people um entering into the market now a lot of those were originally i think government funded and i know it's after that, things like Code First Girls, they switched to a paid model rather than being an entirely funded model. And I think the um, one of the Scottish boot camps went into administration and was, was bailed out more recently. So I guess there's two questions. Can, can, the, can the industry sustain the number of effectively companies doing this? And is it, is it actually good to have that level of diversity? And also, um, can we can we sustain the number of junior people entering into the market? But unfortunately, I don't have the figures to say is that is that number proportional. Uh, but also, are we are we as a as an industry capable of giving that level of support? Because I remember when I joined, it's only because I had a year's experience that I actually got my first role. So I wasn't a raw grad. Um, so I, I, I'm kind of optimistic that we can turn this around. But I think it requires a lot of investment that goes beyond and in beyond the apprenticeship levy in tech because otherwise there won't be we can't sustain that growth we can't close that skills gap that's my opinion on the piece no brilliant what about yourself dave do you have any sort of agreement to that or from your experience yeah i think there's a there's a real 
variance in the in the offerings that are out there and like you say you've got fully funded through paid and sort of obviously there are still apprenticeships about as well um and sort of just from the ones that reach out and have sort of tried to tell us the business we've had sort of people who like because they're they've paid and they've sort of been through their course they're just they want the pool of jobs for people to go to and then we've had ones where they're they're offering a course for free but then you're paying a premium to get those and sort of it's basically low-end contract rates to get people with no experience and obviously there's a spectrum between between those and then you've got sort of the tech returners and things that fit sort of the same shape maybe in terms of your company demand and what roles they can fill but are coming from entirely different sectors i think i think they are playing an important role and i think they're emphasizing that degrees aren't necessary to get into particularly engineering roles but across across tech really which has been a for the 20 years i've been working in tech has been sort of a message that has definitely changed over the years it's i don't think it's ever been a requirement but the or equivalent seems to have gone out the window and we're now just expecting experience but obviously when we're talking about entry level that experience is either none or bedroom or like personal projects it's yeah finding that balance of commercial experience is tricky and then i think the sort of the onus is obviously on the hiring companies to recognize that they can't just hire from the middle you've got to build from the bottom but we also as an industry want those entry-level roles to be appropriate roles they're not just i'm getting someone for cheap you want those people to be getting appropriate mentorship training sort of that role should be building them up sort of i got very lucky with my early roles in small places but with very supportive people and but i know that there are plenty of places out there that will just say all right well i can get someone for 25k past half as much as someone on 50 and i'll expect the same of them and obviously that's not what the reality is i think that's an interesting point you just made there Uh, sorry chris go ahead i I suppose i think this this came to my head a little bit recently with um I don't know about you guys, but I get a lot of kind of questions from people around how to get into the industry. About I think I think especially recent years, the tech industry has been seen as a really kind of attractive career switching destination because you can work from home. Everyone kind of got used to it during COVID. Um, there's a lot of flexibility. The pay is pretty good. Like it's a really attractive thing for people to switch into. So I get lots of like, how do I get into it from people with great skills from other careers, and I get a lot of questions from kind of more junior like bootcamp grads how what how do I find a job what's my switch into it and I really struggle to answer it these days so I think it's like how do you make yourself stand out against the other 200 grads that are popping out every 12 weeks from various schemes and it's a really hard thing to do I think once you've got that year's eight months experience it's a fantastic industry but there's a massive gulf from going from that stage from switching or even from like a graduate scheme into your first role versus what your career then looks like after that first year. And I'm 
I guess it's me mining for <laughs> advice to give to people as well. But I, I really struggle now what to tell people and what I would have done if I was going through it now. I have no idea. I think, if I may, I think one of the most interesting developments has been actually the brand building on LinkedIn, which I've seen actually some new entrants into the market actually really smash. Absolutely showing that they're dedicated. So tech, you know, it, it can be a nine to five job. And we shouldn't preclude people from some people do want to work 80 hours could spend 40 hours on de developing themselves and 40 hours of work or 60 hours of work and 28 hours developing themselves we shouldn't be exclude people but a bit of time on brand building showing um, getting a little bit of professional certification i always recommend people get your get your aws like pr practitioner basic stuff because that, that stuff's transferable to a lot of different things. Um, but a little bit of brand building, a bit of writing. Because nowadays it used to be, if I had said, um, how much time do I want to spend brand building and, and, and thinking about ethics and, and of the industry? 25 years ago, I'd have been laughed out of the room. But it's, the, the game has entirely changed now, in my opinion. The game has changed in such a way that actually having a presence on somewhere like LinkedIn really, in my again, in my opinion, sets you apart from other. I've had this when I've been interviewed places oh i've seen your articles i've seen where you've been published and things like that and really that that carries a lot of weight whether it should do or not i mean that's a, that's another question i think that's a interesting bit in terms of the in terms of the qualifications but the the right qualifications sort of if we think about what we're looking for when you do look for someone with two plus years experience so you're not looking for seasoned professionals but you want that sort of professional understanding over sort of the big delta always was hiring grads they'll know how to code but they won't know how to work in an office and it's sort of cherry picking those bits that are the bits that bring actual value and things like your aws your azure basic sort of the things that will round out that the the necessarily brief learnings that they've got from a boot camp because it's 12 weeks there's only so much you learn in 12 weeks and you probably want that to be deeper in two or three areas rather than thinly spread across 12 but if there's then some steer in terms of the and these are the low effort because like you say don't want to put barriers up and prevent people being able to enter the market if they've not got if they've got personal commitments or whatever you don't need to put too much of a time burden on but the things that you could add real tangible value with in a couple of evenings a week level effort sort of i think there's real value in those as a differentiator i think it's interesting in terms of the expectation raising that's happened over the past 15 years like i remember when i, I interview it was like just applied for a job on indeed had a conversation did interview got in now it's like oh but you have to have a good github so source contributions, some finished projects, make sure you know you understand a bit about German stuff, make sure you, you've got like maybe a good social media presence. And it's just, yeah, it shouldn't be. But once everyone starts doing it, that expectation just gets raised. It's like, how, what are we asking you people to kind of have to do to get in? But I guess it's part and parcel of it being a really competitive, like desirable industry to get into. It's kind of why it's raised up. But yeah, I, I definitely don't like envy people having to go down that route. Well, and I think it, not not to make us the victims, but I think sort of as as a hiring manager who wants to hire equitably and 
I want to give everyone a fair shout, it sort of does, it increases the noise in that because it's hard to, I wouldn't put someone who's given me load, like their full GitHub history and who's done a like sample exercise that they've submitted, I wouldn't put them above someone else, but obviously you're comparing something with nothing at the same time. It, it's all very interesting listening to that actually because uh, you've mentioned things that I didn't think were, were like you know big things from like a hiring perspective really and I think I think it all comes down to the fact that from what you said there it's, it's almost split in two different ways so companies ultimately just can't have endless amount of roles for everybody can they because the business is a business at the end of the day and you know they need people to come in who can you know do the work and you know, when they when they do have um, you know, roles which are probably more accessible for more junior people. Um, like you said, it's so much more competitive. Um, and I suppose touching on every point that you made there, it's it's really about just sort of being an individual um, and, and showing what makes you different from everybody else, really, whether that's doing the branding, showing that you've, you've been upskilling in your own time, which I think is a huge one that I get a lot of feedback from, um, from hiring managers, like you said, doing the AGUS certification. Um, these are all things that be, can be done outside of work, um, you know, really, it's just to get it under your belt and strengthen your your side. So, no, I really appreciate all the answers to that one. Um, so I suppose just going on to the second question then, which was um, raised by yourself, Dave. Um, to fully support genuine entry level roles, how much active rather than just supported development do we need to provide? And does this limit the size of an organisation that can offer worthwhile entry level roles? Do you mind just giving a bit of context behind that, please? Yeah. So, sort of touching on. Um what we covered before really but the i think to genuine offer properly supportive roles that are going to lead to good development of entry level and when i say entry level that could be a boot camp but it could be self-taught i think the bars are much of a muchness sort of with a code code test or whatever you what way you want to assess it sort of no commercial experience is sort of the bar that I'd draw there. But if you've got people coming in at that level, one, even if they come from a boot camp, you might be working with different tech, different languages, and probably whichever route they've come from, my working assumption would be that they're more likely to have learned elements by rote rather than having fully got themselves on like the understanding of programming and um, which for me was about a year into computer science degree like I've done plenty of coding before where it was all just lifting bits from different places and making stuff work but there was just that point where things started making sense and I understood what was going on and why those things were happening and why I was doing those bits and I think that's too high a bar to put on people coming into entry-level roles. So I think there's really high burden on the companies that are bringing these people in to offer them the appropriate support. And we're sort of trying to find our feet with it at the moment. We're not particularly big, 30 in engineering in the UK. And we're currently working on the basis that we could bring someone in at that level. We've sort of trialled it with a summer placement, someone 16 straight out out of school. And we made it work, but the bar's quite high that we put to ourselves. So we were giving them explicit tuition, really. We were giving them sort of coach sessions and stuff to take away and work on themselves and probably allocating 
maybe 30% plus of their time towards that personal development. And obviously that's all investment for stuff down the line, but that's also taking time from my engineering managers, from seniors, whoever we're putting onto that. So that sort of, I think that's the bar. I don't know whether where sort of the other opinions sit with that, but then if that is the bar or it's higher, does that then preclude much smaller places being able to take in entry-level people? Because uh, prior to now, when we've made adjustments in our org to be a sort of set us up to be able to do this going forward, but prior to now, I don't think we could have. And while I've had a couple of juniors come through from North Coders who have ended up really good, I'd happily hire, hire them again now, but I don't think they had the level of support that I'd have wanted to, them to have throughout that journey. So we're only just able to do it, to my mind, now. So is that a limiting factor as well? If we start with yourself, Jeff, what, what are your thoughts on that? It's a really, I think it's a really interesting topic because there's one key. Th- this is why I always enjoy whenever I take on a developer who's actually retrained from, say, a teaching background. It's because, unfortunately... It doesn't always follow that your senior engineering team are actually capable of teaching. Now, maybe that actually should become more of a, um, we should provide training for that. Because if you look at the ratios, when we talked about the um, industry doubling in size roughly every five years, you think about then you're saying an engineering department of 30 can take maybe one or two juniors, you go, hang on a second, these ratios don't stack up. And which is which is a very unfortunate because that, that then looks like there's a kind of some kind of bottleneck. And of course, a lot of this, I think, comes down to the fact, in my opinion, at least, that I was very lucky I got my degree for free, or the taxpayers paid for it. I'm from a working class background. I could not have afforded £65,000 worth of uh, student debt. I'd still been paying it today and I wouldn't have done it. Um, I think there is there is a bar, and, it, and the bar is making sure people can actually teach, can actually provide that level of support. And it, I remember some early attempts at taking on um, graduates, including kind of just putting them onto a team that was very small, very under the cosh, and just going, get on with it, which is not the, which is not the answer at all. Because, you know, they always say practice make, makes perfect, but really perfect practice makes perfect. You need to have an env- environment where they can do a bit of kinetic learning and they can actually do stuff the right way under some supervision because then they build the transferable engineering skills, they build the professional skills. So it, it's, the, I think the answer is, it, well, it's not an answer. It's just it's really hard, and unfortunately, with with uh, IT teams and companies trying to get the maximum value out of their engineering teams, I feel like almost by driving it through private enterprise and removing some of these funding options, they've made it very much kind of well. If it's all done through private enterprise, they're just going to take what they can from it as in it's all going to be profit-driven. And it's the same for companies in, in the uh, apprenticeship levy. It's going to be, and now there's kind of exec, you can do exec MBAs and stuff through the apprenticeship levy. I'm not sure that was what was originally destined, intended for. Um, I don't know if people agree. But I think the problem is because we're allowing people to do this through private wranglings, I feel like it's being potentially being misused and we should, we should in some ways drive that behavior through other incentives. Uh, Billy, I'm, I'm not about you, Chris. Do you sort of agree with a lot of things said there? Or? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting topic. I think we, we've seen kind of like 
like a solid settled team like four or five with a good senior tech lead and some good strong mid-level devs can like take on one and like junior person per team i think it's really interesting the the point you made jeff around like um good teachers one thing we found is that there's generally a kind of a a reflex to get your seniors and your juniors together and they'll teach them actually we found a lot more benefit from having like the mids teach when you look at like like models of school acquisition when you have like much more senior people talking and trying to teach the language and the intuition that the senior has is much different than the rules-based stuff that you need as a junior it's almost like there's a clash of language where they can't quite explain why they do stuff somebody really wants to know but why am i doing this um so actually having someone who can do the like the what should you learn next and having the guidance and set a path in front of them and then having some some solid middle people you can pair up and kind of i've just learned this i'll show you it as well is a really good pattern but again it involves having a team that has a like a gradient of expertise and knowledge which you get from hiring juniors and bringing people through so it's really hard to bootstrap a team of all seniors to add some i think it's people look at it as a you have to have some loads of good seniors first then bring some juniors because no you need a nice gradient across it i saw a thing on um on well, X now, Twitter, when, as it was back, when, back then, a while back around, like the gradient of challenge, where if you have just all seniors, you're going to want challenges that's appropriate to their skill level. They want to do architectural problems. They want to solve big, gnarly, like algorithmic stuff. Whereas if you have just like a login form, everyone's going to be a little bit bored. No one wants to kind of do the stuff that should seem a bit more like they've done it before. Whereas actually, if someone brand new is going, yes, brilliant, I've done this before. I want to have a go at this. And you need a, peop- a, a set of a gradient of, of skills so you can have someone who's engaged by all levels of it so yeah i think it's a it's a difficult problem but i definitely think you can do it with smaller than some people do but you can do it you have to have more than people think you do at the same time <laughs> just so, like a team of three seniors here's a junior have fun is asking for the door yeah i think you just described so go on jeff i think you just described the curse of knowledge somebody who's you get somebody who's your staff engineer the absolute tech pinnacle and trying to explain oh concepts might not necessarily go that well because they're assuming you know um a level of experience and ability to even just operate a computer might be beyond beyond them i think it's it's a really it is a really interesting topic especially that a whole because also if you don't have grading if you just got a whole bunch of seniors eventually people want promotions and you go well where do you go from there when everybody's a principal engineer nobody is you know <laughs> how would you then have 200 ctos it becomes it becomes it becomes you say you save yourself a little bit of a seniority problem it's the, the skill thing is really interesting so the, the dreyfus model which is kind of where i've i've learned not from has like the dreyfus squared idea where like the more mastery based stuff is very intuition driven and the very early something very rules driven so like that's where it just disconnects but actually you want in the middle where it's very like ah rules but i can break them a little bit and i want to try new things a bit more chaotic but you learn lots it's a really nice way of modeling it it's just out of curiosity and, and this is to anybody really it, with, with sort of software teams and a junior going into a team is it like pivotal that they, they have to learn on the job to an extent and and sort of you know be with senior developers and learn that way or do you think it would actually be an idea or a possibility of having an individual software developer who purely just does training and things like that or is it just something that would not work i i think there's a certain tacit knowledge that you can't teach there's a certain tacit element to software engineering that's all i'm going to say on that topic <laughs> so yeah uh, so i think there's two two strands of thought for me on it so one is sort of 
it, it feels a big part of the sort of return return to the office and sort of the working in person discussion has always been that juniors and those lower level level people benefit massively more than more senior people as a general rule and i think that comes into play and part of that is that you're picking up those you're picking up so much more passively so obviously there are ways you can overcome that in a remote setting by having genuine buddying and pairing with people like not coding pairing but you are sat with someone for the whole week albeit virtually and options like that one of the things that we considered so i'm requesting won't necessarily get through the budget but i'm requesting quite a high volume of um juniors for us to bring in next year and across all skill sets sort of across all our functions and my goal with that is to create a cohort of them so that they're working both in their teams in with whatever support mechanisms we've built around that but they've also got a support network amongst themselves and obviously you do tend to get it out of the boot camps they'll all have every single one seems to have a whatsapp group and they all share what salaries they're on and all of that but i think that's a really important factor is that they've got that people who are going through the same journey and especially there's real value to them being cross companies but i'd really like to have that within the company as well i think that point when the boot camp it's kind of back to the first question that is one of the massive bits of the value of that is that you have that peer network that you're going to see especially kind of like tight place at manchester you're going to see those people over and over and over again for the next 10 years in different roles and different companies and work with them again and then not work with them and so yeah i think like the value of that network is huge and, and kind of to, to put your point around like whether you can have like independent learning work i think you don't like everyone has to learn a job even seniors because it changes so much that you have to continue learning the entire time so get into that habit of continual development early on is really important and showing that you've got like, i think like optimizing for curiosity and coachability for juniors is so important like the skills you can teach but you can't teach someone to be really like interested in learning and want to know more about stuff that just kind of comes with the person to example. I, I think that's an interesting part of the it industry being opened up to a lot more people and becoming very attractive because of like let's face it the average salary in the it industry is well beyond the average salary of any other industry in fact i looked through some pages the other day it was the average salaries in a lot of different professions including medical and it stuff came out on top on which is kind of surprising but also not surprising at the same time and it does there are some people in the industry or are going to be attracted to the industry who aren't necessarily as keen learners as others and i guess some of that is fine but they, they have to set their expectations accordingly because people really want those and this is why i think it's a real benefit to hire more junior members of the team because they're so hungry that the ones that we have we we take in um a couple of cohorts a year of around 10 people so because we're about 500 people so we can support that and the level of hunger and drive and the questions i get asked are didn't exist 25 years ago in some way. I think they're hungrier than ever. So it, although there are people are struggling, I think, to get roles, I think it's because some of them are so incredibly hungry. Some of them are have such a thirst for learning. And I think those who don't necessarily maybe need to reconsider because uh, they're always going to get beaten to the post, in my opinion. No, absolutely. And thank you very much for asking that sub question. I know it wasn't <laughs> initially planned, but I was just quite curious. But it, it makes a lot of sense what you said there. And um, I think a lot of people listening would 
could see a lot of benefit from for knowing that it's it's really down to just the want for it, isn't it? Rather than um, you know, searching for benefits, which a lot of the time might not come for a while. You know, you, you need you need to do the learning and, and and really pick up everything before that. I suppose that nicely leads us on to the the final question. Um uh, and that was from yourself, Jeff, which was, are we doing enough as an industry when it comes to mentorship networks, which sort of leads on nicely to what we said then, but could you just provide a little bit of context behind that, please? Yeah, so the, there's a gap between when you do a boot camp, which is great, and they do provide some career support, and being in a job, there's kind of a there's a bit of a chasm. And even when you're in a job, sometimes people don't necessarily feel, feel comfortable continuously asking questions of somebody because it feels like, well, maybe... If I'm being judged on my performance during my probation or whatever, even beyond that, if I ask too many questions, maybe I'll maybe that reflect badly on me. And having a third third party mentoring and even maybe some coaching as well, I think some people have started these networks and tried, but it doesn't feel like it's. I don't see enough of it on there. It feels like it hasn't stuck as much as it should do, and we're, we're quite good at it's sort of drawing ranks together in the IT industry, but it feels like that mentoring hasn't quite got far enough because I know um, I took some, uh, along with my group of my fellow colleagues, we took some people through Code First Girls and realized afterwards they weren't ready to take their first tech jobs. So we thought, well, what do we need to do? But that was such a, unfortunately, such a limited number of people. And I'm sure there's lots of pockets of it. Wouldn't it be better if we could actually somehow draw together on a platform and actually provide a more holistic mentorship network. It only requires a very small amount of time from each person every week or month. Yeah, I mean, I suppose, Chris, what's your experience like of mentorship and, and do you have any thoughts on, on what Jeff just said then? Well, yeah, I think, I think it's agreed with what you said. I don't have much direct experience of it. I think we've mentored a few people informally through boot camps and whatnot, but not as part of like a general network of mentorship something that i've kind of had to go out and, and seek a little bit and myself kind of find people in the industry who are kind of maybe a little bit ahead of me in terms of experience and what i've done but not too far ahead that it's kind of ancient history for them and, and even then you there's always a bit of a um a bit of trepidation about approaching people because it's like hey can you give me some of your time for free please you're really experienced and can you just give me this information this always feels really cheeky i guess to kind of approach people so you can see why people kind of want these networks and want something a bit more structured so it's not put yourself out there as much to find people um yeah i don't know how we solve that i mean again to go back to the, the more informal networks i think the community stuff is huge for the sort of thing like getting involved in community events um get involved in like wider conferences the stuff that's happened last week with tech festivals for example of this um i think more formal stuff can come out of that but the community stuff is the seed of it Absolutely. And Dave, I know you've been involved in the, in the sort of the festivals and things like that. What's your opinion on mentorship and, and what's you know, your experience in general with it? Yeah, I think I, so. There seems to be there seems to be a sort of. I guess probably a rec, more of a recognition of it as a requirement and more more sort of formal options and structures of it as you get as you get more senior sort of there are quite a lot of mentoring options when it comes to leadership or when it comes to architecture and sort of sort of when you're or just being an exec or sort of in the top three tiers of a business there's generally quite a lot and and it will be industry spread and 
I guess part of that is if you're the one person doing that role, if you're the CTO, if you're the VP of engineering, then you've not got a counterpart in the company to be working with. But I think there is so much value in having that reach outside of you, outside of your company. I've been really fortunate. Um, my best friend went to you, met him on the first week of uni. We basically run in parallel careers the whole way through. He's a director of technology at a software company in Manchester. Like We've always had that bounce back with each other of, one, judging each other against ourselves, but also we've had that visibility of this is what's going on in a company over there and that's sort of reflected. And so I know there's that sort of bi-directional value that you can have out of it. And sort of I've made myself available at limited opportunities to um, sort of take part in mentoring things as a mentor and not had the uptake. And I hope that's not because of me, but I think it's because because the networks haven't got the visibility and they haven't got the tapping in, or maybe it's not they're sell- maybe they're not selling the message to the people that have got the visibility. But um, I think even the ones that there are aren't working. I wonder whether part of it is that we don't, as tech broadly, we don't really have very good industry bodies, and we are. Like do lean very heavily on the on the community elements and they can be really splintered because they could be tech based or they could be location based but there is a lot of good stuff in Manchester but it's very Manchester focused and you need to know where to look and to get into it and there are very good tech specific things but then you're splitting stuff up a bit too much maybe I don't I'm not quite sure where the answer is it definitely feels like there's a hole I just don't know what the right way of plugging it is. I have to wonder if the government is so committed to trying to bridge some of the digital skills gap, is if actually somebody like the Department of Education should be leaning into stuff like this more. Because it needs to, if it's not somebody's job, then they, as a private enterprise, it's not going to probably make money currently. So thus, thus it's kind of people aren't necessarily incentivized. And as, as a hobby, People will tend to be a little bit parochial. Go, well, okay, I'm going to do. I mean, Manchester's massive, so it's not that's not that parochial. But still, you know, if you're going to make a, um, a tech, you live in Manchester or Leeds, you're going to make a tech scene that that kind of suits your suits where you uh, live or where you love the most. But somewhere like the somewhere like a government organisation, I feel like if there's actually sufficient funding for it, because we do want to, I believe, genuinely believe, we do want to be tech leaders, and we have been, you know, we've always been relatively at the forefront of computing, and especially with some of the new talk around things like our AI rulebook and trying to drive more, being less restrictive than the EU AI Act, trying to drive more development towards our shores. Actually, we need to support. We if we don't have that support network and through government funding i'm not sure it's just going to magic itself up i think that's what feels because you mentioned there's lack of bodies and i agree with like it's completely unregulated in the uk we have the bcs which it's kind of like a lovely dinosaur really in a way um it's 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 great after the fact but it's not really it's not really a regulatory body we don't have it we don't have any structure around us yet we're this enormous behemoth of an industry and not regulation sounds bad but actually having some structure could provide actually some support as well i do think it's like a a long-lasting aversion and suspicion of structures in the computing industry 
like it becomes like it's the kind of like a hacking mentality, whatever you want to call it, but that kind of just general suspicion of anything that's got like a bit of a ring fence or got any sort of structure around it. Like, no, 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 we want to kind of self-organize and do things a bit more carefully. I think that's that's where this stuff falls down a little bit. Like, that's great until you need that structure, need a bit more kind of organizational stuff. Um, I think there were so on the sort of the role that potentially government or local authority or whatever could could possibly play um so sort of there was a suggestion that um that are women in tech and it was sort of the sort of stepping back a layer earlier and was talking about school outreach and but how early you need to get in and just be planting the seeds not not the teaching coding in schools sort of but the making people aware that it's an opportunity and it's something that they could be doing and I think there's real value in that particularly um when it comes to the entry level and the juniors sort of both mentioned earlier that and completely right that sort of it's a really attractive industry for people to be getting into because you can earn lots of money and sort of there's no shortage of recruiters who've seen the salaries that they're hiring people into and decided to go through a boot camp themselves. But and I'd like that not to be the primary motivator for people coming in. So sort of exposing the problems, exposing what it actually means to be doing these roles, I think is of real value. And things like local authorities can provide those ways in and if that's part of a broader structure that can then be supportive as people come into and through the industry i think that would be fantastic don't quite know what that shape is but i think there is something of real value could be there i think it's really interesting the point around education because i think for a long time there's been a focus on awareness and kind of like this is what roles look like this is what you could do is i don't think there's an awareness gap so much any, anymore i think like there's a lot of glamour around kind of the career you had like films made of things you have kind of like there's, there's a lot of people like not many teenagers don't know that coding is a career <laughs> i think i think how what the detail what it looks like is definitely maybe sometimes a bit different but lots of people will know it's there and want to do it. it's an access problem so how do you get into it how do you kind of find that initial first role how do you get the skills that you need to be able to do it i think that's where there's a massive gap in, in, in terms of like actually take people who have the desire and maybe don't think they can do it into actually well here's a first foray into it has all been kind of community-led, like um, things like code clubs and um, I can't remember the, the organisation that used to run in Manchester that does like um, uh, kind of in, the, in, in between code club and, and kind of high school sort of things. There's, there's a few organisations that do this sort of thing, but it's all been very much community-led again, which is great, but it's, it doesn't, doesn't scale. Like you can't do it across the entire nation. There's pockets of good. No, Billy, and I, I think. Um... I think the the frustrating thing with all these topics is never like a, a singular answer, is there? <laughs> which, which makes us all scratch our heads. But um, all the points are really brilliant, and like I said, I think there's a lot of a lot of good ideas. And you sort of wish that people within the tech industry were um, were in charge of a lot of the decisions elsewhere, so, so they could, you know, um, create the platforms that are needed.